from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Thursday. Silver 7's is the site. Every Thursday, our uh, partners here at Silver 7's hosting the show. We go until 5 o'clock. we got Thursday night football, Ravens, and the Dolphins. We've also got VGK Hockey tonight. Adam Candy is with us as well back in the Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari. It's Trending at 2, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Candy, we'll get to the football news of the day, and that is uh, both Cam Newton signing a little later and Odell, pick day landing spot. But uh, local first, UNLV plays its opener last night in basketball. Not easy. They do what they need to do down the stretch, aside from a silly tech, and they win it 64-58. to And uh, Bryce Hamilton, not efficient throughout the game, but when it counted, he came up big. And then, you know, we're kind of wondering about all these new guys, and Royce Ham. That's about as good a debut as you can have as a big man. He was a freaking monster for the running Rebels. Yeah, I mean, if you're approaching a 2020 double-double, I'd say (laughs) you did pretty damn well uh, in game one. And look, there's nothing you can really judge about the Rebels after one night. Uh, They were without some key contributors uh, in that game. But at the same time, uh, let's take what we have and make the most of it. Um, Good to see the Rebels get into a game that was a bit of a scrap at the end. And even though Bryce Hamilton in particular was not shooting well from three uh, during the bulk of the game, uh, those moments, those spots are the ones where you want to see Bryce Hamilton jump in and take over. Because last year, it was like Bryce Hamilton trying to do that for 40 minutes for the Rebels. This was more like, okay, now everything else is down to we need someone to create a shot, and this is our number one guy to do it, and Bryce did a good job of that. Uh, we'll get into a little more breakdown in about 90 minutes or so on UNLV opening uh, the season with a win against Gardner-Webb. I heard the stream. I was at the arena, so I heard the stream on the mountain was a freaking nightmare. I saw a lot of messages about refresh, 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 and finally give up, which that sucks, and I can't believe that, you know, still can't get a web stream going. I will say uh, one of the positives for some of the games that will not be on TV, uh, UNLV – has cut a deal with uh, Cox 14, 10 14, your view. So th- uh, three Lady Rebel games will be on there and three Running Rebel games will be on there. Uh, the first men's game is actually next Monday. That'll be against North Dakota State. That's on your view, Channel 14. Omaha on December 15th. And then one more game against San Diego. That's on December 22nd. So some good local TV. And I, I, I think the announcers on that are pretty damn good. Do you? It's interesting you say that. Um, I remember one of them. Completely objective on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and as for last <laughs> night, exactly what you described, Steve, was my experience. I went refresh, 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 and by the last time the thing froze, I just gave up because I, I was done with it. Like, I, you know, I had the Lakers and Heat game on the big TV. I had that game on the iPad. First, I tried to access the game through Twitter to get to the mountain. Wouldn't load. And then I went through the UNLV website, had to really navigate hard my way through the UNLV website to get there, found it, and uh, let me just, uh, I'll, I'll give a little shout out, I'll give a little props uh, to my man Ben Wilson, uh, who I thought did a nice job on the, on the play-by-play, uh, especially trying to work through all those technical difficulties last night. Big NFL signing of the day. We were going to get into Cam Newton, but like I said, we'll hit that in a little bit. Um, you know, I've been kind of 
waiting and maybe wishing that uh, Odell Beckham actually didn't land with anyone, but there were teams out there that wanted him, and I was really curious to see where Beckham was going to land. Would he pick a place where he might get a lot more targets and be the number one, or was money a big concern, um, or would he choose a winning team with a good quarterback where maybe he won't be the number one and he won't be the number one uh, in L.A. with the Rams? He picks the Rams. The Rams pick him. Very interesting choice on both sides. It is, Steve, and I don't know that it's the right one for Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know that this is what gets Odell Beckham Jr. where he wants to be because he clearly wants to be a guy who is featured, a guy who is targeted, and wants to be seen that way come next year, too. And so going to a team that's going to win, that's great. Maybe it's reputational help for Odell Beckham Jr. But he's no better, and this is still debatable, than the number three option in that Rams offense. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are clearly not even close, one and two, above him. And so if you're Odell Beckham Jr., a guy who hasn't graded among the elite since 2018 by pro football focus, I don't know that you necessarily go reestablish your value in that Sean McVay offense because what are they going to need him to do? They're going to need him to be fast. They're going to need him to run. They're going to need him to stretch the field. Well, that's exactly what he didn't want to do in Cleveland. He didn't want that role. He wanted a role that looks more like a Cooper Cup role. So I don't know necessarily that this is where Odell is going to thrive. That said, from the Rams' perspective, this is a no-brainer. You have to do this if you're the Rams. I uh, haven't seen the money yet. Have you seen any reports on what kind of money he's getting? It is a one-year contract, uh, and I believe Adam Schefter reported on the money, but the details were just confirmed uh, just a few minutes ago. I'm making sure that I get this number correct for you. Yeah, not reported. Very well done, Adam. Good job. <laughs> well, it takes a little time. Uh, can we go back to the broken record from a week ago with Von Miller? The Rams are amazing. There is no salary cap. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that Odo Beckham isn't making a whole lot of money. But I, I will say, one, they're aggressive. They want to win. Two, I really love what Arash Markazi was saying today, and he says it all the time. If you want to carve out your space, a major space in L.A. sports, and you're an NFL team, it might be the only market where the NFL team is behind like two or three other teams and schools. If you believe USC, right now they're struggling. Uh, might be ahead of the NFL. But uh, he was talking about star power and that the Rams have to bring in stars. That it winning is going to help. But that is what is uh, going to draw fans away from some of the bigger name teams, the established teams there that never left or aren't new to the market. Do you buy that? Absolutely. You just said it, and it's the one word you just said, left. You want to be part of the landscape? You want to be part of the market? Then don't ditch the market. There's only one brand that's been strong enough to overcome that, and we have it here in Vegas now. It's the Raiders. The Raiders are the only brand that can go to three different cities and still be able to hold up. No one's pining for Jim Everett and Flipper Anderson. So if you're the Rams, you definitely have to go bring in some star power and get the buzz, right? Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. might not be the players to put you over the top, but they're sure as hell going to get you some buzz. Well, speaking of L.A., I saw a quote from a guy yesterday. Being an L.A. guy, being close to home, the weather, all that good stuff, I didn't want to go nowhere cold. I just felt like the Raiders fit, matched perfect. Deshaun Jackson, as long as he keeps his head on straight, and doesn't whine about having games where he only gets like three targets. Do you believe this is a good signing, especially filling the void of one Henry Ruggs? This is a perfect match of team and player in the moment. 
Because Deshaun Jackson has one thing that nobody else on this Raiders roster now that Henry Ruggs is gone has, and that is blazing speed. He can run by anybody. And last week, we saw the effect of Henry Ruggs being not being gone because Derek Carr only threw the ball deep, half as often as he has per game the rest of this season. He, the longest reception for the Raiders last week was 24 yards. Even if it's only three or four targets to Deshaun Jackson, those are the ones that the Raiders need. They need Derek Carr to have confidence that if he just throws it up and says, you, go get it, that Deshaun Jackson can do it, he can still do that, and I like it for the Raiders because of that. Chiefs, Raiders week. I know it started a couple days ago, but now we really start honing in on the NFL. Joe Valerio, former chief offensive lineman in the 90s, is going to join us in a couple of minutes to give us the uh, angle on the KC side. And remember, the, the energy is at a different level here. First of all, the expectation is the Raiders absolutely can compete with this Chiefs team. Last year, they did. They wound up splitting with them. They could have freaking swept them. And the other great thing about this weekend, when the Chiefs come in, there's actually going to be fans making a ton of noise from all over Raider Nation. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at Two. It's a refi-rated Nova Home Loans with interest rates at all-time lows. Now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. What's up? It's Tyler Bischoff from the press. See your Vegas Golden Knights. My first NFL game actually was a Raider game at the Coliseum. It was actually, it's crazy. The Chiefs was playing the Raiders, and I was on the sideline, took a picture. I was young. I was probably like seven, eight years old. Ever since then, I always wanted to play in the NFL. So I look back now how time, you know, changes, you know, putting on the black and silver. So it's, it's definitely going to be special. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Sean Jackson, newest Raider, on the way back there. Should be interesting to see how much the Raiders use him, if he can fill the void left by Henry Ruggs and at least be a threat to rip the top off the defense. All right, last year these matchups were awesome candy. The Raiders were one of the only teams in the league that really pushed the Chiefs to the brink, or one of the few. Um, beat them once, lost to them the other time, but they could have beat them that second time. Joe Valerio played for the Chiefs in the 90s, a pen guy, and he's doing a – Believe podcast up at the uh, Believe Podcast Network. He joins Candy and Cofield here in Vegas. Joe, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? Uh, hopefully, having a, having uh, getting ready for that big Sunday night game. Gee, it's, hey, we used to say in Kansas City, it's Raider Week, and yeah. you know, Coach Schottenheimer never let us forget it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say for you, how, how how big a rivalry was it? And we have heard about Schottenheimer. Uh, we uh, one of our regulars is Mark McMillan who played on the Chiefs as well, and Mark said, like, sh- like Schottenheimer would get crazy almost to the point of driving himself to tears, getting you guys fired up for the Raiders. Oh, it was not almost tears. Yeah, it was, it was, it was something for him. I mean, you know, I, I, was, I was chatting with Rich Gannon about it, you know, and, and how different it was, and I asked Rich. I said, Rich, you know, you obviously know from your time in Kansas City how much we looked at Raider Week and what that rivalry looked like, and, um, you know, we had so many little inter stories right and bringing on marcus and and art shell like it was just the 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 mixing of those two teams and and the rivalry was 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 amazing and then i asked rich and he he actually said joe i gotta be honest like when i got to 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 oakland you know when, when he was with the raiders he said they just didn't look at the game the same way um and he said look his first his first talk with the team was guys 
Like, you got to understand what um, the amount of emotion that the Chiefs organization puts into this game, and we got to turn this thing around because, you know, I think in Rich's time in Kansas City and in my time, I mean, I think we lost to the Raiders like once in six to eight years, you know, once or twice. But then Rich, you know, kind of got to, to, uh, to, to working with the Raiders, and he kind of turned that around and, and really flipped the narrative on that. And he's the one that went, you know, seven and two during his time with the Raiders against the Chiefs because there's something about the emotion of that, of that uh, rivalry. Joe, the emotion will obviously be one thing. The X's and O's will be another here for these two teams where the Chiefs, uh, you, you tell me, you're the one who sees them more regularly. Um, they've got five wins, and there are times when it doesn't really feel that way when you hear people talk about the problems that the Chiefs are having right now. What, what do you think is the state of the Kansas City Chiefs at the moment? Well, you know, my, my, they're teetering, right? They're teetering on the brink right now of if they can't get some defensive problems right and they can't solve some things on defense, I, I think that's really what's affecting them offensively. Now, you know, without having Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who was really brought in to take the pressure off of Patrick and, you know, kind of free some things up so maybe you didn't always have to bracket Travis or chip him at the line or, you know, you didn't have to, you know, put your best corner on Tyreek Hill every single play. Like, we, we lost that, right? Kansas City lost the ability to at least be relatively uh, threatening in, in the running game. And, and Patrick's pressing right now. I mean, I look back to that Titans game, for instance, and, you know, Vince Lombardi's Packers in the 60s, as good as they were, when you only have the ball for six minutes in the first half of a game, it's tough to win. If you have pack ten, you can have ten Patrick Mahomeses on offense, right? I mean, so you know, for for Patrick, this has become a I'm carrying the entire weight of the organization, the city, and the entire Midwest who happen to be Chiefs fans. He's carrying it all on his shoulders, and it's really forcing him to press. And I, I don't, you know, blame's a really strong word, but. You know, I kind of blame it on the lack of defensive production that, that the Chiefs are getting right now. I guess what's interesting to me, Joe, is that Patrick Mahomes has such talent that even when Patrick Mahomes has looked, and I'm going to use air quotes on this, like he was forcing things or like he was pressing in the past, he's been so good that he's still been able to get the job done. But you think he's feeling he's feeling that the defense is not going to be able to hold up on the other side and he's trying to make too much happen? Definitely, that's exactly what you know. What I'm saying is he, he just he's just he's he's forcing. And I mean, when you watch it, if you know, if you're if you're a fan and, and you know you want to watch little bits of, of this game, you know that's going to happen on Sunday night. Watch the different ways that he throws the football, and if you if you can go back and watch some of the easy ways that he he the ball comes out of his hands uh, in the past. And I'm telling you, he's throwing the ball differently. That's how granular this is getting for him. And you know, look, and also too, let's give let's give a lot of defensive coordinators credit. You know, they don't just sit around ooing and eyeing in the off season and think, oh, what are we going to do to stop the Chiefs? They try to come up with solutions, right, and strategies. And you know, they're really starting to do that. They're putting, they're they're, they're definitely rushing him differently than they have in the past. It's it's I, I call it a mush rush. They're 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 pressing him up in the middle of the pocket. They're spending more time forcing him to his left, where he's not as effective as he is. Um, finding the pocket, you know, to the right, because that's what Patrick does. He he finds the pocket within the pocket, and when he does that, it gives 
you know, Tariq Hill, it gives Travis that extra second to get open because they're really, really good at what they do. And the way that they're rushing him right now, it's not allowing him to see the whole field because they're not giving him what I call that, if you imagine that, they're not giving him the pocket within the pocket to step up into. Because remember, Patrick Mahomes is a drop-back quarterback. He's not Lamar Jackson. You know, He's not even, to a certain degree, a Josh uh, Allen who's going to really kill you with his legs. He's a drop-back quarterback. He's a, you know, he's a classic quarterback. Uh, he just happens to make some really athletic plays because he's such a good athlete. But he's not, he, you know, I don't think teams feel threatened by his run. He will gain yards, but it, it's not a threat. And so they're rushing him completely differently. And then, you know, you, you couple that with bracket, you know, Tyreek Hill, or you put your best corner on him. You, you put two guys on Travis, you, or you bump him at the line, and you get him off of his game and off of his target. You tire him out. And there's like that's a recipe right there for you know for for being effective against the the Chiefs you know offense. Former Kansas City Chief lineman Joe Valerio joining us here on Cofield and Company. Uh, Joe, you mentioned how much more it might mean to the Chiefs franchise to the Chiefs fans playing against the Raiders. It's a different Raiders atmosphere here in Vegas than it was in Oakland, than, than it was in L.A. What memories do you have of that black hole and playing against the Raider faithful? Oh, my gosh. It was it was a tough place to go play. I mean, the fans were loud. They were on you. You know, they were... Um, you know they were they were they were great fans. If, if you played for the Raiders, let me tell you, they 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 gave it to you. You know they got they tried to get you out of your game. You know there was a lot of remember a lot of taunting coming out of the tunnel. I just remember a lot of you know uh, you know I remember a lot of a lot of noise. Um, they could get loud, and rowdy. I mean you know all that stuff that you know when you go into a into a place that you, you know you're not looking forward to. Um, it was definitely a tough place to play. Uh, in some ways, diff- a different kind of tough than an arrowhead that just is, is super loud. Um, you know, the Chiefs fans, as loud as they are, they're, they're still relatively polite. Uh, you know, but, but that can be, you know, that can wear on you, right? When you're, when you're out there and you're playing and you, you're thinking about, you know, the John Facenda and you're thinking about the old NFL film song, you know, ba 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 da ba ba. Like that's like for me as a, as a player, like that was like that was play to play in my head. Like the Jack Tatum, and you know, here I am being coached by the great Art Shell, and I'm thinking about all those great Raiders teams, and I'm telling you, the history of that team is heavy. You know, Matuzak and Howie Long, and you know, you mentioned I went to Penn. Like I'll never forget my my first game starting. Against the Raiders in 1992, uh, was it was I, I started that game, and you know here I was thinking about the fact that you know a year ago I was blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard, and and then I'm going against Howie Long. I'm like, what the heck just happened? Like, it that 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 franchise was a heavy franchise, and and you know that weighs on you when you think about the history and some of the players that played there and the snake and all those those guys that you loved watching as a kid and. Uh, that that definitely was uh, was something that could get you out of your game for sure. Uh, you know, kind of like it, it, it made me feel the same way. Like when I played against the Eagles, my hometown team. I grew up in Philly, and you know, I remember I remember playing them and thinking, God, this I can't believe I'm playing against a team that you know I grew up watching. And that that's a heavy feeling to put you know to put on a young player. Joe Valerio, former Chiefs offensive lineman, is with us. We are intrigued by the uh, minutes. There is no Biff McNutty, right? Yeah, yeah, 
he's my he's my fictional Harvard okay, guy good, that good. I like to throw out there when I <laughs> when I talk about playing you know playing yes. in the Ivy League. Uh, you know, Jason Garrett probably would be the one that you know people would relate yes. to the most since uh, you know this coaching fame with uh, his long tenure with the Cowboys. But uh, yeah, so now Biff Biff's my fictional Harvard guy that I like to uh, like to talk about. Uh, as a, uh, I am a Jersey guy, so I'm familiar with the Garretts and uh, the Jersey Shore and their roots. Um, tell us about the podcast. So, what do you got cooking on the podcast? Oh, we, you know, Jeff Fedotin, my partner, and I, we uh, we host a weekly podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. We we try to talk a lot about the Chiefs, obviously, because that's our focus. Uh, we, but we, you know, we talk a lot about football. We, you know, it's I love analyzing the game. I love talking about some of the techniques that are out there. The way that, that the game is changing, um, you know, we, we we try to have a guest every couple of pods. Uh, we had Rich Gannon on. Uh, we you know we've had Will Shields, you know, Dana Hughes, uh, you know, other Tim Grunhard, right? Just went into the Chiefs Ring of Honor. Was the center that I played with. So we're always trying to get you know we have sports writers on. It's it's a lot of fun. It's it's, it's fun. I try to be really objective. I'm not a homer. You know, I'm not somebody who just you know oh. Chiefs, yay, the Chiefs, you know, all the time. I mean, I'm I'm pretty critical of them this year, you know, from that perspective. And, uh, you know, I like to be an objective football fan. I think that helps. It helps our fans understand the game a little bit more. And and then it allows us to get more into some of the details of the game. And I I try to always give fans something to watch, you know, something to look at and to focus on that may not be Patrick Mahomes or Tyreek Hill going deep. You know, um, you know, give them some schemes, give them some matchups, and uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, we talk a lot about the AFC West because it's a great, it's a great division. I know it looks right now like there's a lot of parity, but I think that's a good thing for the division. And um, I really, you know, I love the AFC West. I'm a huge AFC West fan. Objective. We got a minute left here. Who's going to win the game on Sunday? You know. Until things went a little, uh, you know, a little bit sideways with some of the the Raiders players, you know, I know we've got, we've, you know, the fans are dealing and the players and the team are dealing with some things right now um, that you know are kind of outside of the football purview. Um, I would have said up until you know two or three weeks ago, I would have said that the Raiders were going to win this game, and and, and uh, I'm not, you know, I'm really, I'm not being a homer, but I think, I, I think that this is going to be the week the Chiefs get it all together. And I think Andy is looking at this as a pivotal game, and I think the Chiefs have a lot more to lose than the Raiders do, and sometimes that forces a team or puts them in a position to win. And I just think that the Chiefs are going to pull this one out, but it's going to be really close, and I think it's going to be a three-point game. And, of course, three-point games can go either way. Right. If, if you don't if you don't execute in all three facets of the game, special teams, defense, and offense, games like this can go either way. So I'm not I'm not saying it's a lock. I think if I had to make a prediction, I'd say the Chiefs pull this out by a field goal. Um, but listen, like like anything, it, it can go either way if 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 they can get after Patrick and keep him off the field. Joe, great spot. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Much much appreciated, and uh, everybody enjoy the game. It's going to be a good one. Oh, we're going to. We're going to. Joe Valerio, former offensive lineman with the Chiefs. Uh, coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk to our legal analyst, Xavier Pope, more on the Henry Ruggs developing defense. Daily happy hour starts at 3 with beers, well drinks, and margaritas, just two seventy-seven. Cool. There is a shot blocked by Ham off the glass. It goes to Webster. Webster down the left side. 
Justin Webster throws up a wild shot, but guess who's there to collect it and lay it in? It's Royce Ham. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Candy, not sure if you uh, bet the game last night. UNLV was laying nine and a half, ten. I had a bunch of people asking me before the game, hey, who do I play? Um, you know, I can give my opinion. Um, cool thing is we actually get to bet UNLV and Reno in the state, football and basketball. Uh, my home state, Jersey, put it up to a public vote. Uh, they can't bet on the home state teams. That's stupid. Most of what Jersey has done is pretty good. New York is sitting there watching and watching and watching and red tape and red tape and red tape. They finally have come up with a plan, which you can tell us when it's going to officially roll out, and part of the plan includes 51% tax on sports gambling, which, you know, I'm, I'm all for higher taxes on sports gambling. 51% would seem to me to make it difficult for New York to compete with New Jersey if they're passing on some of that tax cost to the betters. If you want a comparison here, in Nevada, we tax sports gambling revenue at six and three quarters percent. If you want to compare to New Jersey, it's about double that, roughly 15.5%. And then there's New York coming in and saying, ah, forget about it. We're doing 51%. You uh, don't like it? I got one of these for you. I'm not even going to tell you what one of these are. So 51% is the price for the nine sports books that are going to be in New York. And basically, they have to give 51% of whatever money they make, whatever their gross revenue is, has to go to the state of New York. So think about it this way. If you're a New Yorker and you're already betting in New Jersey, which means physically you're either going over the bridge, you're taking the path train, you are in some way going to New Jersey to place your bets and coming back home, uh, you are probably getting way better prices than what you're going to see in New York. Because in the end, the sports book still has to try to make some money wherever they're opening up. And in New York, that's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to do. If you look over the course of time in Nevada, go back... 30, 40 years, the average amount that a sportsbook holds in any given month, their revenue is 5.4%. So now you're talking about taking 2.7 of that percent, giving it to the state right off the top, and then trying to figure out how to make any money. How they, so how are they going to make it? How are taxes always passed on? It always gets down to you in the prices. And so maybe your minus 110 sides are minus 115. Maybe your teasers are minus 130 or minus 140. Maybe these are prices that you never even think about because your futures prices suck or because your in-play prices are getting jacked and you're so busy trying to get that live bet down that you're not even looking to see whether you're getting 130, 140, 150, whatever it is. So New York is going to make this really difficult on itself, especially considering Jersey and Connecticut both have legal sports betting now. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. We'll immediately get... Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Thursday here at Silver 7s, time for our legal analyst out of Chicago, Xavier Pope, is with us. We start off, Xavier, with the uh, terrible tragedy at Travis Scott's show in Houston. Explain to the audience what's going on here in terms of the event and also what's going to happen legally. Yeah, Astroworld was a tr- tremendous failure of an event um, to secure the safety of its 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 concert goers. A festival that's been going on for a couple of years with uh, 
hip hop superstar Travis Scott and multiple other artists on the lineup. Uh, it, it appears as if this this situation did not have adequate uh, security, adequate protection of those um, that were there. Uh, people pressing on each other. There is there was even reports of individual uh, sticking people with needle and make causing panic and people. So there are a variety of different reasons why people were pushing on each other and then ambulances couldn't get through to deliver to properly render first aid while the show was going on and people died as the show went on. Uh, it's really interesting in a time of COVID uh, when crowds were dangerous that ultimately the crowd itself, not the virus, caused the death of eight people. My, my heart goes out to those that have lost their lives and those that have been injured, but the bigger issue is the negligence in terms of securing the people's lives will result in a litany of lawsuits. There have already been some already filed by those who were, were injured, but you're starting the nexus from the wrongful death suit from the eight that lost their lives. Those were, and then from serious injuries to lesser injuries than those that were saw everything that happened and their negligent infliction of emotional distress and some of the issues that they have to face in terms of the trauma of experiencing such an incident that, and that, you know, they are Drake and Travis Scott already been sued, but any concert promotion, any security or, or, or a company that secured it, even the city itself um, for not pro for the different licensing and zoning all around that, that created an environment that wasn't safe. So it looks as like this is going to gum up the court system locally and it's going to cause a tremendous amount of PR damage to Travis Scott and as an artist, although he expresses his sorrow and his heart being broken as well as Drake and as well. Uh, as as others, but I mean the the lawsuits are still going to come. A, an apology or an Instagram video right. is not going to stop people from filing lawsuits against Travis Scott and all other associated entities in relation to this tragedy. Around the NFL this week, it was time to pay up. So C D Lamb, uh, I mean this is outrageous. He had an untucked jersey, so he uh, he got fined twenty thousand dollars. Ten weeks of not following rules, lying, actually saying he doesn't care about the rules, he doesn't like the rules. Aaron Rodgers got a fine of. $14,600. Man, the NFL is really serious about their COVID protocols, aren't they? Yes, yeah, Steve. It looks as if the NFL spent more money on, on labor and costs of putting in racism in the end zone uh, as a response to <laughs> Colin Kaepernick kneeling right. than they did to did, uh, Aaron Rodgers in terms of him lying to the media. Uh, I think it's absurd. And it also shows the NFL doesn't have a calculus that we can follow to determine, okay, if you if you sexually assault someone, okay, this is what's going to happen. If you kill someone in a car accident, that's going to drunk. That's going to happen. If you don't follow COVID protocols, this is going to happen. The NFL has this ad hoc way of dealing with tra diff different things that have happened. And there has never been any rhyme or reason. It's so interesting that Roger Goodell still makes 200 million bucks a year and covers the owner's asses over and over and over again. When we see this over and over, but the NFL never takes any real hit in terms of their financial viability as a sport. And as long as the NFL can withhold 650,000 emails from the Washington football team, as long as they can, can know that Aaron Rodgers was, was, was not vaccinated, allow him to lie and only sit there, let him to pay, pay pocket chain, peanut money. It, as, as long as fans keep showing up at stadiums, making it an almost $15 billion league, then the NFL will continue to ignore its wider issues in its sport. And I will continue to take up for the Raiders because they seem to be on the wrong side of these inconsistencies. So last year there was a charity event Darren Waller had, and this was uh, right in the, you know, in the midst of the, the real COVID fear. And like nine different Raiders went there, and you know they took off their mask. 
All nine got fined $15,000. Aaron Rodgers, 10 weeks, and said afterwards, hey, you know what? I think the rules are stupid. So essentially, he did all of this on purpose. Um, I got to bring this one up because, you know, it's interesting. When you're Colin Kaepernick, hey, you know, you want to be a guy who's leading a movement. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Hey, even Cole Beasley, agree with him, not agree with him. He, he was out there. Now he finally backed down. But he got a lot of, lot of heat. It was real interesting. Rodgers, after a, a multiple interviews with McAfee, Finally, was like, uh, you know what? I just want to play football. And I thought, let me, let me, uh, let's uh, have Ari play this for us. Um, I thought what Joy Taylor said on Cowherd's show, getting after Aaron Rodgers, was mm-hmm. excellent. So I'm going to get back to doing what I do best, and that's playing ball. But that's the whole point. So you're not going to like shut up and dribble yourself that, that, after you went on this whole tirade right. about woke culture and cancel culture and the crosshairs of the woke mob. What you realize is you really didn't want that smoke. Yep. He didn't want the smoke. Like, when it came back at him, it came back at him. It's not easy being, you know, an activist or someone outspoken going against the grain. First and foremost, Aaron Rodgers enjoys white privilege and being also the privilege of being a star of the National Football League. So what we saw is him being able to take on an issue, a social issue, take some flack from it, and then after he received any blowback from it, decide to back off from it. You're not going to see that from an African-American player speak on an issue in terms of voting rights or in terms of police reform, get out there and then step out there, receive any blowback from it, and then, oh, oh, I'm okay. They're still going to receive the blowback from that. And Aaron Rodgers exercised every single privilege along the step of the way, being allowed to lie that endangered the lives of people and here's a guy outside of the sport who spoke up to protect lives. And Aaron Rodgers said, oh, I think I've had enough. Like, I get, like this, whatever he's do, what he was doing was a game to him to be played or to, to be just fl- be flipping about. And we don't need people flipping about a public health crisis. Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago. All right. We got a bunch of interesting stuff to get into, but I do have to make a little commentary because I'm a, I love sports radio, right? I've been doing it forever. I love sports radio. And I got to tell you, Joy comes up with something really good uh, at least once a week, a lot more than that. But, you know, Fox is really good at getting out videos. There's something developing here. I don't know if you saw it. Let's go back for a second. Uh, Last week, there was a big story in Chicago. I think it was in the Tribune about females and radio, not just sports radio and radio. And they were talking about just how marginalized they are and mistreated they are. And um, it's funny, in sports radio, we still don't have a lot of women doing mainstream big time shows and the more i watch cowherd with joy taylor i think joy taylor actually needs to be off the show because i think she needs her own show five days a week she's doing two to four on the weekends on a specific time on fox sports radio national and we run that on our sister station but she does not give any f's and she will go after people i i love what she's doing and frankly cowherd is really kind of a solo show and i I never realized how good joy was because cowherd's always you know as a lead guy you oftentimes you you're always coming over the top of a sidekick in this case she is so much more than a sidekick well joy taylor is fantastic she is brilliant and she knows her her sport she knows she's in terms of what's going on outside the sport she's she's the sister of jason taylor former nfl player with uh, with the miami dolphins and clearly camp come up came up in the sport and you've seen her grow being a sidekick to Cowherd to then she, she tweeted about this yesterday in terms of learning about how to say certain things and do certain things. She has now become bigger than Cowherd to me. It was, it, it, the videos of her saying things on the show, 
are now getting more attention than Cowherd. Now she she has her own radio spot. She deserves that spot. She's one of the brightest, young, smart women in sports journalism. And I think that we need more space for women like that who can really bring an attention to various issues that happen in and off the field. We don't have an X and O culture in sports anymore. And we need smart people like Joy Taylor on the radio, on television, their own platforms, their own spaces at all times. And I think Colin is brilliant. I think the, the style of a show is great. To be able to do mostly solo is a special skill. But I will tell you one thing that I, I heard him uh, during that piece doing that I can't stand. Uh, Joy just says what Joy is going to say. And then Colin in the middle of it has to qualify. And he's like, well, I'm an independent. Kind of to suggest that I'm not taking a side. No one cares. Just, just say it. And people are going to judge you anyway. It doesn't matter if you say you're an independent or you lean one way or the other. So there's like a little bit of fear coming in, a lot of fear, coming in with sports radio people. Just say what you're going to say. All right. So I got to say this. I watch these documentaries over the years on, you know, justice systems gone wonky, gone bad. And obviously this has been a gigantic issue with local DAs and judges but, you know, it, I, I watch them and it's eight years later, it's 20 years later, it's 15 years later, you know, making of a murder. Like, what the hell's going on with the court system of Wisconsin, right? So now we're back and now we're seeing it play out in front of us in real time. This Kyle Rittenhouse thing is lunacy with this judge. And, like, we can get into all the, the fake crying by the kid, the judge being kind of a weirdo, seeming kind of one-sided. My question for you is, what happens from here? Because we've seen a lot of these documentaries where the appeal process is incredibly difficult after the first trial. This is, this is going to be appealed. So what's going to happen moving forward after this? How many times do I have to come on this show, Steve, and something happens and I have to tell you, yeah, we talked about this on Suit Up News about a month ago. This has become a reoccurring thing. You, you saw it coming. You saw it coming. And I talked about this on Suit Up News, and I talked about the, the, the beginning of this case, how the judge has behaved in terms of being lenient towards Kyle Rittenhouse, in terms of, hey, Kyle Rittenhouse doesn't lies about where he's, he's living, doesn't tell the judge, judge doesn't put him back in jail. Uh, he, he, there's evidence of him basically saying he's going to, he wish he could shoot people outside of a CBS. That's not admitted into trial. It becomes a big issue of consternation almost leading to a mistrial yesterday <laughs> that who I, I talked about on the show. And then we have a judge that's reading a book about cookies. So let's talk about justice and what's going to happen with this uh, Tina Tintor case. She was the woman who was rear-ended by Henry Ruggs, the former Raiders receiver, uh, burned to death. Mm -hmm. Um you know, we have you guys on our legal insiders because you know, we got to approach these things from an objective standpoint. And last week on our legal podcast, we talked about, hey, what is David Chesnoff, the high power defense attorney, going to come up with for rugs? And one of our guys, an attorney uh, and judge, Judge Dan out of Colorado, who does sports radio in Colorado, was saying, well, maybe they go after the cars and, you know, maybe the, the RAV4 was faulty or something wrong with the Corvette. Um, it looks like one of the first things they're going to try is the firefighters didn't do what they were supposed to do to put out the fire in Tina's car. What do you make of this idea that, you know, they're going to come up with something to defend rugs that's really going to work? I look at that from two step standpoint, Steve. First is from the criminal standpoint. Uh, the, the person that you engage with, if you take on certain actions that lead to their death, 
is going to make you responsible for their death. Now, will it lessen the the criminal responsibility you may have in terms of a particular charge that sticks in terms of what is convincing to a jury? That's one thing. Now, in a civil aspect of it, you know, in terms of there may be lessen of what fault in terms of liability that, that, that reduces the amount of money that he can be paid. But at the end of the day, whether it's from a civil standpoint or whether it's from a criminal standpoint, he still will be responsible. It just term determines the, the, the level of charge and then the level of legal liability in terms of dollars. Also very interesting that the, uh, the, the, the prosecution side actually wants to roll in some extra charges for the injuries to Ruggs' girlfriend. And Chesnoff's like, no, 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 Let's, we got to seal that. You don't need to know about the injuries. A very interesting twist. Well, that's that's part of pretrial motions that are done before trial. And that's up to a judge to determine whether that's going to be admissible or not, whether that's going to be discoverable or not. I'm of the of the opinion that it is relevant to uh, what happened in the case. And I think that that probably winds up getting it in the case. Lighter stuff here. Xavier Pope is with us. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. Uh, Michael Felder, our college football experts, coming up here in less than half an hour. I saw you and him talking on Twitter about I, I man I anything like anything new from a technology standpoint I really am like 51 going on 114 um, <laughs> what what is voice note text what what is this so normally when you send a text message you you start typing your message or you can also you know put it in where it's listening to your voice and it's putting the words across okay well voice notes is you're recording your voice and then texting, sending that voice to other people. Now, people find that that is something that's a little bit more personal and a okay. way to express yourself. You know, we know that gifts and memes are also different ways of expressing yourself, but people can hear your voice and you, you talk to them. It's like having a conversation without having to be on the phone with someone. All right. So it's not, it's not my voice to the written word because I will tell you there's something with my garbled language and my East Coast accent <laughs> that comes out where the I look at the phone and I'm like, Come on, man. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say that. Stop. Um, all right. Yeah. Then you're like editing yourself. Too. Well, that's not the point. I'm taking triple I, I, the time. I use, this, I use this to save time <laughs> right. and talk, and then I have to like edit what I said. No, that's not it. It's you speaking. You sending a little voice note of yourself talking. Like it's like a quick test. Hey, I'll be there in ten minutes, and then you send it. Yeah, I don't think I like that. Uh, I'm out. Um, <laughs> undo tweet and Twitter blue. What are we doing here? Twitter Blue just got launched by Twitter. It allows, it's $2.99. It gives you extra features. You're able to customize the bottom of your screen with Twitter. You're also able to hit an undo button, mm. which will show you your tweet. And you have a certain, you can have up to 60 seconds to be able to edit the tweet before you send it. I like it because I'm able to see my tweet. Some tweets I like, some, some, some I don't before I, I send it. It also allows you to download longer videos. Um, that will go on oh, your really? timeline. It's be two minutes and twenty seconds. Now you get up to ten minutes. Ooh! Uh, so, uh, which is the feature that I enjoy the most because a lot of what goes into suit up news is going through a bunch of different takes to squeeze everything down into two minutes and twenty seconds. We get a little bit more time to play and a lot of different opportunities that we're using with suit up news. So, um, I love Twitter Blue. I'm excited that it's here. Um, it's getting rolled out to different people. It's not on Android, so. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, green bubbles. You ain't got it. Ah, what a killer. Uh, Xavier Pope, uh, make sure you look him up on Twitter. He's got suit up news. Freaking odd. By the way, he's, he's with us today uh, doing this spot at Silver Sevens in Chicago while he's doing a shoot. So I totally appreciate <laughs> your time. Last one. Um, 
I'm 100% pro Squid Game. Um, my partner some days, Adam Hill, he's not here today, but he before I even got to see the final episode, episode nine, he said it sucked. I thought it was fine. I thought Squid Game was awesome. <laughs> Do we need a Squid Game 2 because the, uh, the creator says it's coming? Well, I guess LeBron James didn't like the ending, so Squid Game creator wanted to please LeBron. <laughs> I also, by the way, I also like that Squid Game came back and they're like, uh, you know, your freaking movie, that was kind of terrible too. So uh, worry about your movie and we'll worry about our show. Yeah, I mean, Squid Game made a lot of money. And yeah. I think that uh, the, the creator said, hey, you know, we had to do it. Yeah, because you have a lot of money coming to do it. And, it's, and there are a lot of unanswered questions at the end he leaves to go chase the guys instead of going to his daughter. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The S- spoiler alert. Everyone turn off the radio if you have not it's, heard it's, the end. I don't care if you haven't seen it by now. You should have seen it by now. That's <laughs> your fault. Carve out some time. <laughs> <laughs> People are busy, man. People are busy. Yeah. All right, Xavier. What else you got going on, man? What's, what's going on this weekend? Anything cool? Another episode of Suit Up News is dropping soon. Go to the hashtag Suit Up News. Uh, to check out the latest episode. Also go to my timeline on Twitter at Xavier Pope, E-X-A-V-I-R-I-P-O-P-E. And some exciting new news about Suit Up News is coming up soon. I'll be letting you guys know that first right here on ESPN Las Vegas. All right. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot, my man. There he is, Xavier Pope. Follow him at Xavier Pope up on Twitter. He's got Suit Up News to check out. Let's do a giveaway right now. VIP treatment over at Crazy Horse 3. We've got Sunday Night Football with LVR going against KC. And the best after party for all these home games is right across the street. It's the closest place to party after the game, right there near the stadium. It's Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club. Caller 6 and 7. You get hooked up with VIP packages courtesy of Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club. They got the full kitchen. They got drink specials. The after party this week is a little later. It starts at 8 o'clock. It's with Fox Sports Radio and comps Greg Salerno. Caller 6 and 7. You get the VIP treatment, the table, a bucket, free admission for you and a bunch of your friends. 364-1100. Talk to Ari. He'll hook you up for the best after party in town after the games at Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club. At the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, sign up for the mobile betting app and get $50 added to your account.